The following is an excerpt from Joseph Sheridan Lefanu's Carmilla, in which a mysterious new friend enchants our heroine with strange, passionate overtures. The time is very near that you shall know everything. You will think me cruel, very selfish. Love is always selfish. And the more ardent, the more selfish. How jealous I am, you cannot know. You must come with me, loving me to death, or else hate me and still come with me, and hating me through death and after. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we continue our special four-part Halloween series which takes us from the world of Victorian ghosts to the world of Victorian vampires. For the entire month of October, we're retelling Joseph Sheridan Lefanu's classic novella, Carmilla. Today's episode is the second entry in the series, so if you haven't listened to part one yet, make sure you go back and start from the beginning. Last week, we followed an innocent, curious young girl named Laura as a series of strange events rocked the quiet of her family's lonely castle. First, there was a cryptic letter announcing the death of another young lady in the area. Then, a strange carriage crashed on the road outside the castle. It carried a mother and daughter. The mother a mysterious woman in black velvet continued her journey, but she left her daughter behind. The young lady's name was Carmilla, and soon Laura realized their new house guest was strangely familiar. Coming up, Laura confronts the woman from her dreams. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity. 
with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. Laura stood rooted to the floor in utter shock. She felt hot and cold. Her knees were weak, and yet she didn't fall. She didn't even breathe. She just stared. The guest lying in the bed before her was supposed to be a stranger, but Laura knew that beautiful, pale face. She'd seen it in a nightmare. But then the girl did something she'd never done in Laura's dream. She spoke. I know you. You're the girl from my dream. Laura suddenly felt even more disoriented. Those were exactly the words she was thinking, but it was Carmilla speaking them, and Carmilla kept talking. Yes, I'm sure of it. I know your face exactly. I'd know it anywhere. Twelve years ago, I dreamed it, it's haunted me ever since. Laura started to sputter. You... you saw me in a dream? Why, I saw you in a dream. Her shocked horror was melding with confusion. Carmilla's eyes widened. Then she broke into the most brilliant smile Laura had ever seen. It spread across her face like a fire. Her cheeks began to flush. We each dreamed the other. How absolutely marvelous. Surely it means we were meant to be friends. What else could it mean? Here, Carmilla sat up amongst the embroidered pillows, gazing at Laura with fascination. Tell me, please, about your dream. Laura hesitated. It wasn't a good dream, and it startled her to see it come to life. But it was hard to resist the eager expression on Carmilla's face. Impossible, even. And she was right. If they'd each dreamed the other, surely that meant they were bound in some important way. So, Laura recounted her childhood nightmare. How one night, a woman who looked just like Carmilla appeared in her nursery. An adult Carmilla, though, as she looked now, even though the dream was 12 years ago, when they both would have been little girls. At each step of the story, Carmilla nodded eagerly. She, too, had dreamed of a woman lying beside her in her crib, of feeling cozy and safe by her side, and then of a sharp, agonizing pain at the base of her neck, like two needles sinking into the skin. Only, the woman in Carmilla's dream was Laura. The similarities between these two private visions were remarkable. By the end of her tale, Laura felt strangely connected to Carmilla. She drew close to the bed and knelt down beside it. Carmilla took her hand. Then, she said exactly the words Laura had so long dreamed of hearing. Let's be friends, Laura. The best of friends. I know we'll love each other. 
Slowly, Laura nodded, pushing down a last nagging thought that pulled at her mind. Perhaps she and Carmilla were bound by their dreams, but that dream had also been a nightmare. So, what was to say their bond was good? Over the next few weeks, Laura's concerns sank deeper and deeper into the back of her mind. There was, after all, so much to distract her. Not just Carmilla's sweet face, but the friendship she promised too. That was even sweeter. Their days together passed like one long dream. The girls walked about the castle grounds arm in arm, laughing and chatting about Madame Peridone and the dresses they dreamed of one day wearing. They braided one another's hair in the courtyard and lay in the grass, watching for shapes in the clouds. They discussed books and pulled their favorites off the library shelves, screaming with laughter as they climbed the rickety old ladder. These were all things Laura had imagined doing with a friend, and they were even more delicious than she'd anticipated. Carmilla was the perfect companion. But she also had a worldliness that Laura hadn't expected of another girl her age. For example, a kind of flippant knowledge when the topic of suitors came up, as if she didn't care in the slightest. Laura was shocked and impressed. Carmilla, it seemed, found her life full without romance. Laura blushed and said she wished she was so content to be independent. Carmilla's unusual qualities didn't end with her worldliness, however. In fact, that was the least of them. At times, she was stricken by dark spells. Her beautiful, expressive face seemed transformed by melancholy. Her body turned languid, and her usual quick wit became slow and brooding. But she was never ill, she assured Laura, just tired. Deeply, achingly tired. Somehow, Laura found these moods even more alluring than Carmilla's happier days. Her father and Madame Peridone were always so quick to try and cheer her when she fell melancholy. But with Carmilla, Laura felt she finally had permission to examine her own darkness, to ponder it. So she lay her head in Carmilla's lap in the quiet of the afternoon and spoke of the persistent loneliness that plagued her when she didn't keep her mind on being happy. She could never tell whether the loneliness was just because she was alone or whether it was something deeper, something missing inside her, lost with her dead mother, perhaps. Carmilla stroked her hair, listening, as the afternoon sun cast a haze across the leather books and the velvet upholstered chairs. Then, into the languid silence, Carmilla whispered, Now that we are friends, you'll never be alone. Not until death. And even then, even then, we'll be bound together. Laura was comforted by Carmilla, by the fact that she seemed to take her seriously and because she opened a door onto the other ways of being. With Carmilla, she wasn't a child always told to be cheerful. She could be herself. But as she grew closer to Carmilla, Laura also grew curious about her. In part, this was a result of Carmilla's strange little habits, 
most of which Laura's father dismissed as evidence of a girl raised in the city. City people were different than country folk, he assured Laura over breakfast. Carmilla wasn't there to confirm or deny this prognosis, however, because Carmilla almost never came down to breakfast. When she did join them, she didn't eat. And when she slept, she locked the door. It was for protection against robbers, she told Laura, and urged her to do the same. Laura eagerly took up the habit. But Laura could never sleep in like Carmilla did. She was too accustomed to waking with the sun. So she looked at the empty seat at the dining table and thought how glamorous it must be to come from a city. Of course, she didn't know for sure where Carmilla was from. That was another part of her new friend's mysterious allure. Carmilla was silent about her background. She wouldn't even speak her family name nor draw her family crest. Laura wondered how she managed to get through so many conversations without letting such details slip. She was strangely discreet for someone so young. But one morning, Laura finally got the clue she was looking for. The castle was bustling with energy. The servants were scrubbing the walls and Laura's father was pacing impatiently by the castle's oak doors. That day, the picture cleaner was due all the way from Vienna. After months of waiting, he was finally bringing the family's restored paintings. Laura and her father were excited to see one painting in particular. It had been all but obscured by centuries of soot when they sent it out but there'd been a faint outline of a woman's face visible amongst the dirt. Laura's father said he thought it came from her mother's family. Perhaps it was a portrait of one of her relatives, a little window into the world of the lost Karnsteins, and a happier one than the ruins in the nearby forest where they once lived. When the picture cleaner finally arrived, Laura's father took him aside to discuss payment, leaving Laura to sift through the canvases, admiring the newly visible trees and mythological scenes and, yes, there it was, the portrait. The picture took Laura's breath away. For the second time, she recognized the face. Once in a dream, once in flesh, and now, in oil, it was Carmilla. Laura drew closer, her nose almost touching the canvas. The likeness was remarkable. She checked for an inscription and smiled in amazement. Just as she and her father suspected, it was a portrait of a Karnstein. Newly visible at the bottom of the frame was a name carved in gold. It read, Makala, Countess Karnstein. Just then, Carmilla made her usual late descent down the stairs. Laura exclaimed to her, Come look at this painting, Carmilla. It's exactly like you. Carmilla drew closer. So did Laura's father. Both looked at it curiously. Carmilla gave a soft, vague laugh. <laughs> Why, it is rather like me. Laura stared at her, shocked she wasn't more eager. Well, isn't it amazing? The lady is a Karnstein, you know, my mother's line. Do you have some relation to the family too? Carmilla shrugged. I think perhaps I do, distantly, very distantly. But yes, 
I believe my family had Karnstein blood as well. Laura looked at Carmilla, eyes wide. Her heart felt like it was ballooning with excitement. How wonderful! Why, we're cousins, practically sisters. No wonder we have such a natural bond. Laura threw her arms around Carmilla, then eagerly turned to her father. Oh, father, please say you'll let me hang the painting in my room. I must have it. Laura's father smiled, amused. Consider it yours, my dear. It is from your mother's side, after all. He then turned to Carmilla. I know the relation is probably quite distant, but still, I'm delighted to have a member of my wife's line in the house. Alas, it is a rare privilege. Here, he turned away and gestured to a servant. Take the portrait up to Laura's room so her new friend can watch over her always. With that, Laura grasped Camilla's hand, grinning, and the young women ran up the stairs. As they waited, Carmilla reached out and pushed back a strand of Laura's hair, breaking into a smile of her own. You don't need a silly portrait of my likeness watching over you, Laura, darling. You have the real me, and we'll always be together. I promise you, till death and long after. Coming up, passion and death perfume the castle air. Since the beginning of time, people have wanted to believe in an afterlife. Hi listeners, I'm Shelby Scott. In Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast, I take a closer look at the mortal lives of spiritualists who claim to communicate with the dead and the scientists who tried to debunk them. This eight-episode series looks at paranormal events proven to be hoaxes and those which have mystified even the world's greatest skeptics. Mixing history, mystery, and social psychology, Mediums asks how these self-proclaimed psychics pulled off the illusion of interacting with the dead, even under a microscope of criticism. Were they all simply peddling parlor tricks, or was there something truly paranormal going on? Break out your Ouija board, dust off your crystal ball, or light some candles, because Parcast is ready to reveal what's really known about the unknown. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Mediums. Summon new episodes every Wednesday, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. The days after Laura found the old family portrait that looked remarkably like Camilla, she felt closer to her than ever. They weren't just friends now, they were tied by blood. Carmilla, it seemed, was a link to the matrilineal line she'd never known, the Karnsteins. But despite the girl's growing intimacy, Carmilla still refused to discuss her immediate family. But over time, 
a few details began to slip. They were odd details, ones that made Carmilla's clan sound formal and brutal, like something out of a storybook or from another time. One evening before dinner, while watching Laura dress in her bedroom, Carmilla spoke of how her father tied a man to a water pump, flogged him with a cart whip, and then seared him with the castle brand, all because he'd insulted her mother. That was love, she opined dreamily. Laura fastened a last button and turned Carmilla aghast. How could you say such a thing? Love is flowers and compliments and kisses by a riverbank. Carmilla stared out the window for a moment with a distant smile on her lips. You'll know love sooner than you think, my dear, and you'll see that sometimes it must be violent if it's real, if it's deep. She turned to Laura and looked at her intently, searchingly. If it's passionate and forever. Laura stared back, bewildered. Carmilla, I know I've asked you before, but I must ask again. Where did you get such strange ideas? Where are you from? Who exactly are your people? For a moment, Carmilla didn't answer. A dark look entered her eye and a flush colored her pale cheeks. She walked toward Laura and pulled her to her chest. Laura, at first, submitted to the embrace, baffled by Carmilla's behavior. She was a strange girl, wonderful but strange, unlike anyone in any book she'd ever read. But as she stood with her cheek against Carmilla's soft, hot cheek and felt the rapid rise and fall of her chest, she forgot her questions. Her own breath started to come more quickly. Her corset suddenly felt too tight. And then, as her head felt lighter and lighter, Carmilla began to speak. Dearest, think me not cruel because I cannot yet tell you all you wish to know. If your dear heart is wounded by my secrets, my wild heart bleeds with yours. But know that it is rapture to live in your warm life. Until you shall die, then you will draw near and learn the pleasure of that cruelty which yet is love. So for a while, seek to know no more of me and mine, but trust me with all your loving spirit. Laura tried to rally her weak muscles and pull away. What was Carmilla saying? What was she doing? But Carmilla simply pulled Laura back toward her. Her cheek was wet with tears now, and she turned her lips to Laura's face and kissed it. The cheek, and then the brow, and then softly the neck. Laura felt a stirring in her body. A kind of repulsion rose in her mind, alongside it, tense, excited. The feeling of a rabbit about to be shot, she thought. But she couldn't pull herself away. 
Not until Carmilla lifted her lips off of Laura's skin and turned toward the window. Still quiet, her body straight and tense as a strung bow, Laura looked at her silhouette for a moment. Then, without a word, she ran from the room. Laura felt overwhelmed, confused, and afraid. She thought again of that dream, that dream that bound her to Carmilla, a nightmare she used to call it. But now, she found she couldn't recall that looming feeling of horror, only a strange longing. Longing to lie by Carmilla's side as she had in that dream. She arrived at the large mirror in the long castle hallway. It was a tall, broad-looking glass with gilded swirls painted along its edges. A mirror she'd known all her life and learned to see herself in, to know herself by. She stopped and stared at her reflection. It made her feel calmer, more in control. She squinted at the glass a moment longer and then gave a decisive nod. She was the same. What had changed was now she had a friend. Carmilla loved her and she loved Carmilla. Perhaps she didn't always understand her behavior. Perhaps her passions were unusual, but Carmilla was from somewhere far away where customs were different and that didn't make her friendship less precious. Laura told herself the same thing when similar outbursts began to interrupt her days with Carmilla. They came more and more frequently over the ensuing week. Sometimes after she'd asked Carmilla about her family. Sometimes when she was in one of her brooding dark spells, Laura lay her head upon her lap. Whatever launched these passions, they always proceeded the same way. Carmilla embraced Laura tightly she whispered strange things about love and death into Laura's ear, things Laura didn't understand. And yet, Laura felt unable to question her, unable even to move. Only that strange mixture of repulsion, fear, and pleasure. Laura didn't know how to put these feelings into words, nor how to address what was happening at all. So afterward, she simply left Carmilla's side or turned away in silence, assuring herself that any expression of love is a beautiful thing, no matter how strange it may seem. But Carmilla's outbursts, Laura soon realized, were not limited to expressions of love. Carmilla and Laura were out in the woods for an afternoon stroll when they encountered a funeral procession. Carried high in the midst of a group of peasants, was the coffin of the forest ranger's daughter. Laura grabbed Carmilla's hand to stop her walking and began to sing a hymn with the passing group, softly, somberly. She had a sweet singing voice, but Carmilla turned to her with a frown that seemed to transform her whole face. She looked suddenly old, old and angry. You sound like nails on a chalkboard. They all do. Don't act like these groveling little peasants. Laura looked back at her in shock. The ranger's daughter has died, Carmilla, of some strange fever. Father told me at breakfast this morning. She thought she saw a ghost, and then just days later, she was gone. Perhaps this isn't sophisticated music, 
but she was a young girl, our age. It's a terrible loss. Carmilla's mouth tightened into a thin, hard line. Don't tell me of ghosts. I hate ghosts and funerals. What a fuss. Everyone must die, and all are happier when they do. Come, take me away from here. I must sit. Laura looked at Carmilla, still wide-eyed with shock, but suddenly concerned too. Carmilla's teeth and hands were clenched, and she trembled all over with a continued shudder. All her energies seemed strained to suppress a fit. Something, Laura realized, was wrong with her. The girl sat for a time, Carmilla clutching Laura's hand like a vice, and then the strange episode seemed to pass. Carmilla's grip loosened. She rose, and the girls walked quietly back to the castle. But Laura kept thinking about the way Carmilla had changed so suddenly. It was like her passionate outbursts of love, but so much angrier. A shiver ran down her back as she remembered what Carmilla's mother had told Laura's father the night they arrived. Carmilla didn't have seizures, and she was sound of mind. Why mention such things? Perhaps, she thought, because of these fits. Because they did suggest there was something wrong with Carmilla. But then Laura looked back at the beautiful girl beside her. Her special, glowing smile which illuminated her pale face, her bright, clear eyes, the gentle curve of her neck. Laura's discomfort dissipated in an instant. She was lucky to have such a perfect friend, to share blood with her. It was everything she'd always wanted and more. That evening, over supper, Laura and Carmilla both were in a subdued mood. They were eating quietly when Laura's father asked about their afternoon. Laura glanced quickly at Carmilla, unsure of what to say. What could she say about her strange behavior? She didn't want her father to think ill of her beloved friend. So Laura murmured, We saw the funeral procession for the ranger's daughter. Her father nodded somberly. I have some very unfortunate news. There's been another similar death. Also a young peasant girl. The fever wasted her away till she was pale and frail, almost translucent. He paused, sighed, and shook his head, as if to dislodge the ghastly image. She said it all started with a ghost, just like the ranger's daughter had claimed. It bit her, apparently. Laura looked at him, feeling curiosity stir. She had the same vision. How odd. Her father shrugged. These fantastical images are as contagious as the fever itself. Superstition spreads easily among the peasants. But I'm afraid the fever itself is something to be concerned about. May God preserve us from it. Here, Carmilla glanced at Laura, then back at her father. I think I know this fever. I think I had it long ago. Laura's father looked at her curiously, but before he could respond, Laura interjected. Did you see the ghost too? 
Is that why you're so afraid of ghosts? Carmilla nodded, eagerly, Laura thought, as if she'd wanted her friend to understand that connection. Yes, indeed. It left me so weak. I barely remember the illness now, except the pain, the feeling that my limbs had grown so fragile they might crumple, and... Here, she stopped for a moment and seemed almost to shudder. And that ghost. Laura's father reached across the table for her hand. Visions like that are common with fevers. But never fear, we'll be safe here. I just warn you girls, stay away from the peasants for now, until we understand the illness better. He turned to Laura, his face suddenly stern. Promise me, Laura, don't go gallivanting off to any funerals. However much we might wish to pay our respects, or however intriguing you find those strange visions. At the sound of this injunction, Laura felt her curiosity burning in her chest. Surely going to a funeral wouldn't make her ill. But she looked at her father with his earnest, loving face and thought how Carmilla hated funerals anyway. So, reluctantly, she nodded. Her father smiled, pleased, and turned to Carmilla. Now, Carmilla, have you heard from your mother of late? Carmilla shook her head slowly, a wounded look overtaking her face. I haven't, but I had been thinking, it's time for me to leave. I've relied on your hospitality for too long, and I know where I can find mother. I'll go to her. Tomorrow. Laura's eyes widened in horror. No! She exclaimed. Her father looked alarmed too. Nonsense, Carmilla, he said. I simply ask because I would like to consult with her about the fever. But no matter. As I said, we'll be safe here. As long as you girls stay close to home for now. And I plan to consult with the local doctor tomorrow. Hopefully, he can provide more insight. With that, Laura's father stood up and bid the girls goodnight. Both girls kissed him on the cheek in the flickering golden firelight. Then they walked quietly out the broad doorway and mounted the steps to their quarters. In front of the green room, Laura turned to kiss Carmilla's cheek goodnight before walking to her own room. But before she could continue, Carmilla grabbed her hand, pulling her close. Do you really want me here, Laura? Laura felt that strange mixture of emotion she always did in Carmilla's arms. A revulsion and confusion and even fear, but also pleasure. She pulled herself away before it could overtake her completely. But it lingered, like a little pulse ringing through her body. She steadied herself, then focused on Carmilla's face. Of course I do, Carmilla. You know I love you dearly, and what would I do without you now that I've gotten used to your company? It's been a long, strange day. It's rattled us both. Let's forget it. Tomorrow will be bright and glorious and happy. I know it. Carmilla smiled a little smile and let go of Laura's hand. Sweet dreams, 
my darling, she whispered before closing her door. Unfortunately, Laura's dreams were anything but sweet. The nightmare began in Laura's chamber. The room was the same as it always was, but black with darkness. Still, amongst the shadows, she could see it, moving at the foot of her bed. A cat, but large and mangy, four feet long with dark, shaggy fur. It paced back and forth as if it were in a cage, but no cage hemmed it in. Laura felt her body tense. She wanted to jump up and run to Carmilla or her father or Madame Peridone. Only none of her muscles seemed capable of movement. Her breath felt restricted too. She couldn't even scream. Instead, she stared, her eyes darting after the cat, until it turned its glowing, orb-like gaze toward her. Its haunches pulled back, ready to spring. Its mouth gaped open, bearing two long, sharp fangs. And then, silently, it leapt. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with part three of our Halloween special on Joseph Sheridan Lefanu's Carmilla. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Nora Battelle, with writing assistance by Alex Garland and Greg Castro, fact-checking by Audriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. Hi, I'm Shelby Scott, host of Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast. You can join me Wednesdays as I dive into the world of spiritualism and the women that defined it. We'll explore everything from obvious con artists to 150-year-old mysteries. It'll be a fascinating journey, so be sure to follow my new podcast, Mediums, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.